You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, before we do, let me just ask you a, this little brief question this morning. Do you feel like you have a pretty good idea of where you stand between you and God today? Pretty good idea where you are, you know, whether you are on the mountaintop or yeah, and, and have a close walk with God, or you might be in a valley, but you're in a close walk with God, or you're like, I'm not quite sure, but I, I think things are okay. I, I think my dedication level is where it, um, best I can be, maybe where I'm at in life. I feel, I feel pretty good about that. And then there's probably some who would just say, you know what? I don't know. I don't give it a lot of thought. If I was just being real honest with you, I don't give those kind of things a lot of thought. If you would be honest, there are probably a few in here this morning that might say something along those lines. I'm going to tell you there's a, there's a young man named Simon Peter that we've been reading about on and off throughout this chapter uh, about you know, way back over into verse 35 of this chapter, Jesus began to tell his disciples, guys, you're going to forsake me, you're, you're going to walk with me, and then there's going to come a time when you're going to walk away from me, you're going to deny me, and, and you know, every one of the disciples said the same thing. Now, God brings Peter's name out um, to the forefront. He was the spokesman, and he probably best represents those of us sitting here this morning of, of all the disciples, because he was so upfront with, uh, in, in a lot of ways with his Christianity, but he was very, very naive about where he was with God. He thought he was just really tight with God. And, if, and if, I, if he had been sitting in the service that I had asked that question a minute ago, where do you feel like you are with you and God? Peter would have said to you, well, if you want to know the, the greatest depth of where I really am with Jesus, I'd give my life for him today. I'd lay my life down for him, and, and if they were to take him away to, to kill him, I would walk right alongside of them and say, you're not taking him without me. Uh, I'd give my life for him. Now, that's where Peter was until we get to the last several set of verses. I think he represents us so well because, guys, it's a lot of times we think we know where we are. We really think we're, we're, we're fully dedicated to God and that I, you know, I don't know if you've ever said that, God, I'd give my life for you or not, but you might feel like you would do that for the Lord. And there are some things in life that will, and I, I call them bell ringers, that will help you to see and really understand where you really do stand. And there's nothing like a good dose of fear to really reveal where you really do stand with God. When stark fear comes to you, when lies begin to be poured into your mind and your heart by the devil, and then fear gets uh, compounded in your life, it's amazing how it brings to the surface the things that really are who you really are. And that's what happens in our, in our text here this morning. So I call this uh, message, I've given it a title, Peter's Denial Finally Comes Into Focus. Peter's denial finally comes into focus. I, we've been talking about him for weeks. We've described how he was so adamant, I'll, I'm going to walk with God, and then we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, striking the ear of Malchus's off, and so on. And we've walked with him, but now we're coming to the place 
where he gets his bell rung in the worst way. And in reality, it ended up being the best way. We're in Matthew 26, verse 69. Let's finish this chapter up. Now, Peter sat without. Now, they've taken Jesus in uh, to uh, the the palace where Caiaphas, the high priest, is. And they're going to be doing what we've often called this kangaroo court. It was illegal. It ought not to have been taken place. But notice where we find Peter, all right? Verse 69, now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. She got to looking at him, and, and the expression of Peter started to come fresh into her mind. And she goes, Hey, you were with them out there when we came to get you and to bring you in uh, you know, to trial. Verse 70, here's the guy that was going to die for Jesus. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Wow. Verse 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there. Now this is a different um, kind of a scenario, guys. The first little lady looks at him in the eyes and said, hey, you were with those guys. No, I wasn't. I don't even know what you're talking about. And then this one looks at all the people around and this peer pressure becomes really, really strong to Peter, all right? And notice what it says. Another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Now you got to imagine all the eyeballs that immediately whirl around and look at Peter and he feels these eyes staring at him and the devil's throwing thoughts in his mind and this fear begins to work up inside of him. Look in verse 72. And again, he denied with an oath. I do not know, doesn't even say Jesus, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art, uh, also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. We understand that to be betrayed. <laughs> it gives you away. Man, when we hear you talk, we know you're uh, one of them, one of those Galileans, all right? You can most of the time tell when somebody's from Tennessee uh, when you talk to them or from uh, South Carolina or anything like that and they try to tell you we're from South Dakota and they've got that that uh, slang you know better because they're just got that that slang to it and and the Galileans had a a broken kind of a language uh, compared to all the other folks all right for thy speech bereath thee notice what happens here verse 74 then began he isn't it amazing what comes up out of the bottom of the heart? Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, that rooster, stood up and crowed like we hear him do sometimes in the mornings, verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept. Notice the next word, bitterly. I, I've got a feeling up until this point in his life, this has become the hardest point in all of his life. We're going to try to describe some of that as we work our way through the message here this morning. Let me have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be here in the house of God today. It's 
always a blessing and a privilege to be here with your people. But God, now we are looking at a subject, and even Lord Jesus, I'm sure your mind is vividly remembering those moments with Peter and how you tried to help him and get him past where he really was in his heart and to bring him where he needed to be with you. And I'm asking you to look at us here today. Oh God, please don't let us uh, be willing to just sit here and be content with just where we sit in our walk with God, but may the Spirit of God take us beyond where we are today and into a closer walk with the Lord. And I'll just thank you for it, God, for we ask it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. I know a, a month or so ago I, I had mentioned to you guys how um, years ago they used to have a camera and we called them, um, uh, Brother Ken helped me out with this, a Polaroid camera. Has anybody else ever, ever used a Polaroid camera? Let me see those gray-headed people raise your hands because those are, we're the ones that use those things way back. Okay, white-headed Dale, uh, along with me. Uh, we would, you could take, how many have never seen one? Let me see your hand. Never seen a Polaroid camera or you don't know what I'm talking about? Seriously? All right, I'll take your word for that. You take a picture of those things and, and then right out of the mouth, it like it stick its tongue out at you, but it's actually a picture coming out and you'd pull that picture out and you'd take it and it's a little blurry at the time. And remember I, I mentioned it had a smell like, uh, uh, oh, a, a lady's perm. <laughs> if you guys have ever had to be in a house when ladies are doing a perm, which there's no such thing as a permanent in the hair, those are all temporaries. They last about a month and then they're doing it again in your kitchen, but... Okay, cameras, back to cameras. Um, so they would, uh, you smell that picture, it smelled like that perm, and, and you look at it, and it's, it's, it's not clear at all, it's real foggy, and uh, the longer you stand there and wait, some people would kind of do this a little bit, um, the picture would begin to develop, and the fog would begin to go away, and sharper lines would begin to come together, and, and you could begin to see the color, and, uh, and the images, and then there was the perfect picture, but it took a little while for that whole picture to develop for you while you're standing there looking at that and I'm telling you it's almost like in verse 32 33 34 35 when Jesus told his disciples you're all going to forsake me and every one of them said we're not going to forsake you we're going to walk right alongside of you it was like Jesus took a snapshot of their heart at that moment and as time begins to work its way on to this moment that I just read about here this morning it's like the picture was being developed and it's beginning to become very crystal clear. And it's coming into very good focus about where Peter really, truly did stand with God. Oh, I'll walk alongside of you and die with you. And yet God knew that in time and as events took place, the clearer picture would become fully developed. And you would, not only would others around you see where you really stood, but you would, more, more importantly than anything, you would see where you stand with God. That's what I think the Lord's allowing us to do. So number one, um, the picture becomes a little more clear when you look at the position that Peter was holding at this time. Go back up to verse 58 with me, if you will. I know we didn't read that yet, but follow there in verse 58 and notice what that verse said about Peter. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Notice how God worded it for us. But Peter followed him afar off. Again, this is the guy that's going to die with him, remember? Um, and then drop down to verse 69. Now, Peter sat without in the palace. 
And we'll just stop there for just a minute. So here's Jesus. He's taken uh, right up into the midst of those trying to try him, and they're eventually going to uh, condemn him to death. And, and he's going through all this pressure. And where's the one that wants to die with him, who wants to show his really, really strong loyalty, who just a few verses before this said, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you all the way. There's no way I would ever deny you. Now, where is that guy? We find him afar off. He's way out in the palace. You don't find him sitting alongside of the Lord. And um, uh, uh, it, if I can just put it this way this morning, guys, it's not what you say about yourself, but where you, tr- um, where you sit truly reveals your true heart's commitment to God. It's where you find yourself sitting, and I don't mean so much in a physical way. It's where you're at in your heart. It's where you find yourself planted so many times in your heart and in your mind, uh, sitting in places where, you know, Christians ought not to be, or to running thoughts through your heart and mind that betrays that you're really not walking with God like you ought to be. And that was, that was true of Peter. We find him sitting way far off out in the palace. Peter had so strongly said, look in verse 35, go back there. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I, I, um, will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, but God used Peter as the example here this morning. Guys, again, not what we say, but where we sit determines your commitment with God. Um, <clears throat> let me talk about some things, and I kind of brought it up at the beginning of the message. There are some things that when they start working in a man's life or in a Christian's life, they will really begin to reveal what's in the bottom of your heart. They'll begin to show you where you really sit. Uh, I, I know that my mom has made some beef stew before, even chili. And uh, we'd go up and I'd look in the pot and I would think, you know, the pot of chili looks like just a bunch of tomato juice because that was the, what my mom would work with as the base. You'd get a couple of jars of that tomato juice she had canned, pour it in there. And that's really all I could see at the top. But once that... Uh, chili started to boil and things started coming to the surface I could see the kidney beans and the hamburger and the other things that were on the inside of uh, of the chili and it would bring it to the surface I I had somebody um, during one of our church fellowships uh, one of the Spanish folks had cooked a meal and they said pastor you want a bowl of this and I looked at it and it looked like the broth on the top looked really good and I'm like sure I'll take a bowl of that uh, they had made it, and I thought, this is exciting. And I, I brought up a spoonful, and it brought some things up from the bottom. Didn't know what the thing was, but I ate it, and I chewed on it, and I chewed on it, and I chewed on it. So this is really good, I said to them, because they're watching me. This is really good. I said, what is this? They said, it's menudo. Does anybody here know what menudo is? I said, oh, great, a menudo. What's menudo? They said, it's cow's stomach. I'm like, okay. Um, It was everything I could do to smile (laughs) and swallow whatever that was uh, that was in my mouth and just kind of like, keep keep stirring it like you're eating, you know, but you're really not eating. Uh, It's amazing the things that come to the surface as roiling and boiling begins to take place and it's it's so true in a person's life um the thing that brings uh, and as i mentioned earlier in the in the 
the first part of the message that brings so much of who you really are to the surface is fear. And you're going to find that true in Peter's life. He, he was so strong and so committed. All he could see was what was on the top and the surface of his life. He'd never really taken the time to delve deeply into his heart. And when he, this is really important, would you listen to me please? While Peter watched all these great miracles and saw people raised from the dead and watched a leper be healed and cleansed and running back to his family, finally going back and hugging his wife and children. And he saw all those things that would give me chill bumps if I was able to see that. I think Peter would go home every night saying, wow, do you see what Jesus did? Like seeing the lightning and a, and a thunderstorm coming at you and, and how it would work uh, its way towards you and you're, you're stunned as those streaks of lightning go through the sky. But you go in the house, your life's not really changed drastically by a thunderstorm, really. I mean, doesn't you know, do a whole lot else to you other than saying, wow, look at all those fireworks or something like that. Sadly, here's what happens to a lot of Christians like happened to Peter. When all those wonderful miracles began to work in his life and he saw all those things, they had a tremendous impact in his, in his mind. But it was unable to get down to the depths of his heart to begin to strengthen and establish who he was and his walk with God. I'm not saying he didn't grow at all. And I'm not saying some of those things didn't have a, a big heartfelt impact on him. But largely speaking, they really didn't change who he was down inside. And Peter became... Uh, was always this little surface kind of a guy and saw what was on the top of the soup bowl and like me with menudo the top of the bowl looks great Um, and honestly it did have good flavor it just takes a long time to chew up but um, when Peter got down to the depths of his heart and all this fear began to work in his life one accusation after another one little maid and another maid and then others begin to talk about him and this fear starts to turn the burner up in his heart and he becomes very afraid and he realizes death really is right in front of him and while death was so far away from him and he's standing here in front of Jesus and he's saying I would die with you well there's death isn't knocking on his door he doesn't really really know until he's been confronted with uh, the depths of what could really face you, what you would really be like. We would be very wise not to make strong claims about what I will and will not do if you've never been faced with the circumstances that might come up during those times. And now, here's Peter. He's gotten a little bit closer to what uh, death really looks like. And he knows the accusations being made about him is uh, really going to turn up the heat in his life and things begin to be stirred up as the, the fear begins to boil inside of him. And it brings who he really is up to the surface. And who Peter really was, was a man whose commitment did not match what he said he was going to do. And that's, that's what happens with each one of those. First of all, you got this young lady that comes, tells him, hey, you was with Jesus earlier. Uh, we read it there in verse 69. And Peter's lack of commitment comes out with this total denial. He acts like he doesn't even know what, what you guys are talking about. Secondly, in the, we read there in verse 71, look at it again, when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said to them that were there. Now this is peer pressure that starts to work on him. This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, and he's seeing the crowd beginning to turn the tide against him. He begins to realize, man, I really might be in trouble here. 
they may drag me right alongside of Jesus. They're trying to line me up alongside of him. Peter, just like you said you already were, remember? But now this fear brings up a total lack of commitment in his heart. And he begins to realize, I don't think he even thinks about that I'm not the man that I said I was. All he's thinking about is somehow trying to find a way to save my life. I mean, how so very far from that strong declaration earlier that he would, he would even die with Jesus. Now he won't even admit that he knows him. It's amazing what fear will begin to reveal about a man's integrity or the lack of it. And then that third opportunity to stand up alongside of the Lord. And as Peter stands there, and if you read the rest of the Gospels that describes this, where you find Peter, he's standing right beside the enemy who has made a fire out in the porch of the palace there, and they're all warming themselves. And the Bible says you find Peter standing there right alongside the enemy, warming himself beside the enemy. I mean, that's another great sign to be able to help you to understand where you really stand are the people that you're willing to sit beside, those that you warm up to, and those that you have no problem walking alongside of day in and day out thinking they're not going to have any kind of an impact in my life. And yet that's where we find Peter during that third accusation that was made toward him. Um, Some of the chief priests, if you look in the Gospel of John, they looked at him and asked if he wasn't one of the disciples, and he denied it again. But there was a, hey, get this. There was a guy there who was relative to another guy who just had his ear cut off. Hmm. Who was the guy that just had his ear cut off? His name was, anybody remember that? Malchus. And uh, so while they were out there trying to drag Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter pulls that sword and cuts his guy's ear off, he wanted to cut his head off, got his ear. I'm sure this relative stood there and was like, oh my goodness, and looked back and forth at his relative and then at Peter. And now he's standing right there alongside of him. And says, hey, you were out there. You are one of them. And now what does Peter do? To try to prove with everything in him that I'm not, I am not associated with this this guy right here. He begins to cuss and to swear. And ugly things started coming out of Peter that he had no idea was down inside of him. And here he is trying to protect himself, trying to keep himself from dying alongside of Jesus and isn't it amazing how a little bit of fear will go a long way toward lifting to the surface things that really represent where your commitment is to God even yet possibly even here today and now fear has peeled away the layers of Peter's heart and has shown the total lack of growth that it takes to be fully committed to Christ but Jesus tried to let Peter know what was happening you know that this whole time and and Jesus knew where Peter was really sitting way back over in verse 35 when Peter said I'll die with you Jesus knew where he already was just like God knows where you already are today God knows where your level of commitment is and he realizes where maybe you feel strong when you come to church and I carry my Bible I might even quote some of the verses and I might even sing the songs very strongly And you might feel like you're really strong in the Lord, but God knows where you really are. And God knows where he wants you to be. And so Jesus, watching Peter, he gives him some warnings. Do you remember when he told him, 
uh, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three different times. What else did he say about the rooster crowing before the cock crows twice? There's another place in the Bible that says before that rooster crows two different times, you will have denied me three times. No way. So now I want to I get to that, uh, I want to get down to that first rooster's crowing. Look over, hold your place in Matthew, go over to the book of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and you get there, drop down to verse 66. Mark 14, 66. Is everybody there? Look in verse 66, we'll read a couple, three verses here. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, same account, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew, the rooster crowed. That's early on in his denials, guys. Did you notice the rooster crowed? Go back over to where we were now in Matthew. Okay. Now, is everybody still with me and still awake here on this Memorial Day weekend? Please listen. When that first rooster crowed, that should have rung a bell in his heart and in his mind, he should have remembered what Jesus said. You know, uh, before that rooster crows two different times, you're going to deny me three times. And here's the first crow of the rooster. That ought to have been a bell ringer, don't you think? Hey, wait a minute. He told me before that rooster crows twice, I'm going to have denied him three different times. But it did nothing for him. Peter should have heard and remembered what Jesus had said. And he should have taken warning that this clear warning that God had given to him. I, I like being on a farm, but I don't like being on a farm where a rooster comes up really close to the window. And they begin to crow at the oddest times in the morning. Uh, like 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning, the roosters like to begin crowing, and it wakes you up, it's obnoxious, and you start looking for your shotgun. But um, you don't really like the rooster crowing. You can't miss the rooster crowing. Uh, He's going to be chicken and dumplings if you keep that up, kind of a thing. And for Peter, this rooster is crowing and doesn't catch his attention at all. But it was an alarm clock going off. For his heart and mind that if he had been in the least bit sensitive to want to really know the voice of God, he could have heard this warning that God was trying to give to him. I mean, it ought to have sent chills down his spine, caused him to immediately repent and realize that's exactly what Jesus told me was going to happen. Oh my goodness, I can't go any further down this path. I told him I would die for him and here I've already denied him one time. God forgive me for where I've come to and help me not to go any further. But it didn't go that way. How many times, guys, has God sent a warning after warning to us? And it may not be a rooster crowing, but God clearly rings our bell many times to warn us of what we're doing, try to get our attention, to show us you're you're drifting away from me. There's things happening in your life that if you keep going down this path, it won't be long before full denial of God is going to take place. You're just pretty much, and I know Christians cannot lose their salvation, but you're pretty much going to give up on what you're doing for God. And as far as your salvation is concerned, it's going to be worthless. Then your testimony before your friends, 
who you're trying to win to Christ is worthless. How many times has God rung a bell in our lives? Remember old Balaam, um, the prophet of God that wanted all the rewards from Balak, the Moabite um, king, and he, he went to to, to the Lord said, God, can I curse your people? He, he's going to pay me a lot of money if you let me curse uh, your people. And God says, no way. They're already my blessed people. Okay, he goes back and tells them. They say, we'll give you even more money than we told you the first time. Now, it's not written in the Bible, but I can hear him going, really? Oh, well, let me go pray to God again. And he goes, praise to God again. God lets him go because God knows there's a lesson that Balaam needs to learn. And on that journey, uh, to go to the king of uh, uh, Balak, um, the donkey runs out into the field, and he gets so mad at the donkey and beats it and brings it back into line. The donkey gets right up next to a, between uh, um, two rocks, we call it a rock in a hard place, and bangs his foot against the rocks because the donkey can look up and see the angel standing there with the sword drawn, and Balaam cannot see that. And then finally, the donkey just falls to the ground. And Balaam gets off and he's beating the donkey and, you know, why are you treating me this way and so on. And then uh, the donkey looks up at him and says, haven't I been good to you all your life? Now, does that strike you as something crazy? The craziest thing is, is Balaam turns around and keeps talking to this donkey like it's, I do this all the time. God opens his eyes and there stands that angel with a sword drawn. Three different times God rung his bell and says, you can't can't go this way you're 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 drifting too far away from me but Peter never caught on and he continued in his full denial of the Lord until verse 74 and 75 look at it with me if you will verse 74 then began he to curse and to swear saying I know not the man and immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice Listen to the words. And he went out and wept bitterly. If you could uh, look up here for a few moments, I want to close out this morning with uh, what I'm going to read here. In Sunday school, uh, to this Sunday and next Sunday, we've got missionaries in the Sunday school hour. Um, so I won't be able to teach, and my wife won't be able to teach our lessons this Sunday and next Sunday. But after that, guys, we're going to pick back up on a series that I've been doing uh, out of a book called Finally Free. I recommend it to every man and woman, actually, in the church. I think it'll be a help and a blessing to you or friends of yours that are struggling with addictions. This deals specifically with the subject of pornography. But uh, he, he talks about uh, being broken, about things that you've done wrong. And it's going to take me just a moment to read these pages. And I want your full attention. Please... Uh, Give me some levity here this morning and listen to what I want to read to you about what Peter, what happened to Peter here. He went out and wept bitterly. Ryan sat in my office sobbing, not, not crying, but sobbing. His hands were busy wiping oceans of tears from his face as he wailed confessions of sin and regret. His wife sat beside him with a face so hard, looked like it was chiseled in granite. Ryan and Lisa had been married for 15 years. They had three kids were meeting with me because their decade and a half marriage was filled with Ryan's love for pornography. After years of repeated discoveries, Lisa's initial discouragement had spiraled into despair and now her despair had twisted into disdain. Lisa was finished. She wanted to take the kids and get as far away from him as possible. 
Ryan's moaning and pleading for her to remain with him were so desperate and loud that it attracted the attention of people down the hall. That was Ryan. New guy, Dave. Dave had a similar story. He'd been married to Marie for 20 years, periodically dabbled in pornography, buying a magazine every now and then. In the last year, though, he had discovered pornography on the internet. When introduced to the ease and the anonymity, nobody's seeing you, of viewing pornography on the web, Dave became totally enslaved. He spent hours looking at it and eventually became disinterested in his wife. Marie knew something was different but was not prepared when she discovered her husband was hooked on porn. Horrified, she left their house to stay with a friend. Like Ryan, Dave pleaded, listen to this, Dave, these are true stories, he pleaded with uh, loud tears for Marie to forgive him. He begged for forgiveness. He swore he would change. He vowed never to look at pornography again. He wept on his knees, crying at Marie's feet in total brokenness. He goes on to say, one of those men went on to get his heart right with God, and the other one left his wife and divorced his wife. How would you tell which one did which? Now let me take you over to pages 41 and 42 and read these closing statements. The difference between Dave and Ryan, remember Ryan was the first guy, Dave was the second. Two men were enslaved to pornography. Each wept over his sin, begged his wife for another chance, pleaded for forgiveness, and vowed to change. But today, only one is walking with Christ devoted to his wife and children, and truly transformed. Dave was the man who truly changed. He's the second guy. After the initial meeting in my office and is now fully restored to his family, I'm sorry to say that Ryan ultimately returned to his pornography, eventually began meeting women online, became, um, and became a danger to his family. He's now divorced from his wife and not allowed near his children. And he has even spent time in jail because his habit has descended into illegal activity. Dave, the second guy, Dave's tears, please hear this, Dave's tears led to earnestness because they were godly tears. Ryan's tears couldn't sustain real change because he never moved from desiring the things of the world to desiring the things of God. In these last couple sentences, the big difference between Ryan and Dave and between worldly and godly sorrow is God. Worldly sorrow happens when you feel the sting of sin but still cherish a selfish love of sin in your heart. And here's what we need to hear. Godly sorrow happens when you are gripped by your sinful separation from God and desire to be restored to Him at any time cost here's peter gets down to the end of this uh this chapter and and the focus on peter's denial is gone after this chapter okay peter's his heart is converted he comes back to christ wholeheartedly but peter remembered the word of jesus which said unto him before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice and he went out and wept bitterly now listen he wept just like ryan wept and he wept just like Dave wept. But you'll find Peter, not too many weeks down the road, standing up on the day of Pentecost, 
preaching a message where 3,000 people get saved on that day. What was it that changed Peter's life? Why, why, why was he not like, um, like the Ryan that's in the story here? What made Peter somebody that changed drastically? Somebody that realizes that I have sinned and I've done wrong, and they go away, listen to me, embarrassed, oh, I got caught, um, my lifestyle's going to have to change now, oh, what are people going to think about me now, and they're weeping and they're sorrowing and my wife might even leave me now, and that's all it ever does is a worldly sorrow. But a man like Peter, who realizes the wrong that he's done in his heart, and he realizes I've broken the law of God. I have severed my relationship with a holy God. I've sinned against God. Am I going to be humiliated and embarrassed in front of other people? Yeah. Is this going to be one of the hardest changes in my life I'll ever have to make? Yeah. But those aren't first in my heart right now. What's first in my heart right now is I've gotten away from God. I'm not who I thought I really was. I thought I was so strong and I thought I was going to take a strong stand for God. But when the pressure came on and when, whether it was peer pressure or, or what others were thinking about me or financial issues or health issues, whatever it might be, when they came on me, I realized I was not the man I thought I was. And I, I found myself when nobody else is around or when there's just a few of us and they're the right kind of people, I have no problem delving into this or acting like this or talking like that. I wonder when we look on our hearts this morning, if God would peer down inside our heart with the Holy Spirit, that piercing sword of the Spirit of God today, would you let God do that this morning and see who you really are? My challenge, I think, for us even here today is, have I even wept over my sin? Does it even bother me that I walk in sin anymore? Finally, and you read one of the other Gospels, I think it's John, says when the rooster crowed the second time, the Bible says Jesus turned around and looked at Peter. And Peter and him locked eyes. And he remembered what Christ had said. And all that love of God came flowing out of his heart right into Peter's and it broke his heart deeply. And he was broken before the Lord. It was a godly sorrow. So where do, where do you stand with God this morning? It's, it's an honest question that deserves an honest answer. Do you have that walk with God? Is it real and genuine? What we're looking at here this morning, if this was all one big bowl of soup, does everything look so good on the top and the surface, but if things were really stirred up inside, if God brought to the surface what really is deep down inside of me, it'd be something I don't want anybody else to see. If that's the case, man, I'd get that thing right with God today. Well, I just don't want to do it in a church service. Everybody's here and See, that's part of the problem is we're more concerned about uh, our remorse of being seen and caught than the fact that I have broken a relationship with a holy God. I don't want my heart to be right with the Lord. I would just challenge this morning if, if God's worked in your heart and your, your thought life here this morning and is speaking to you, would you let God have his way this morning? And, and if everything's great in your heart, and yet you say, I just want to examine my heart with God. Man, I, I need to know who I really am. God sees who I, exactly who I am. And you just maybe want to come today and say, God, what do you see in my life? And where are the areas that need to be strengthened in my heart so that I won't find myself denying God under pressure? Maybe that would be a, a thing I'd want to do today. 
Most of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior here this morning, then friend, you need to know Christ as Savior. You need to know that a, a man's sin will drag him down into a devil's hell because your sin has to be paid for. And the only way a man can pay for his own sin is in a devil's hell forever and ever and ever. And when you realize I stand guilty before a holy God and yet you want his forgiveness and his cleansing and you're willing to call out to God and ask him to forgive you of your sin, that God would be your savior, God would do that for you even here today. And if you're not saved this morning, I would challenge you to receive Christ as your Savior. We'll give an opportunity for these decisions to be made here uh, in just a moment here at the altar. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.